before you grab your Bible and turn to Proverbs, uh, I'm going to redirect you uh, to Genesis chapter 3, if you would do that, please. Genesis chapter 3. Uh, if you're just joining us today, or if it's been a while since uh, uh, you've been here, um, uh, we're in a verse-by-verse study of the book of Proverbs. And uh, it's a it's a book really about... We think of Proverbs as being a book of wisdom, and it is. It's a book that, that puts... Well, think of it like this. Proverbs is a book that puts all of life in perspective. It, it takes the vast complications and variables and different scenarios, different aspects of life, and it brings it all into one picture. It, like, it brings the whole thing into focus, and it allows us to see what life is about and how a man or a woman who desires to walk with God might do so in a way that is pleasing to him. Uh, but, but this book comes at us not as just a, an open book of, of wisdom that, that puts life in perspective according to uh, the mind and heart of God. It comes to us actually as a parenting book, uh, a manual for those of us that are parents because this, this is the chief goal of those of us that are parents, and that is to raise our children in the things of the Lord that they might know his ways, that they might grow in a biblical worldview, and uh, by God's grace, as he works in their heart, that they would come to trust Christ as their Lord and Savior and begin to walk in wisdom and grow in wisdom. And, and I've said before, and, and it's just it's so important that we remember this, whether you're a parent, a grandparent, a great-grandparent, or whether you're just a part of Grace Bible Church seeking the younger generations here to help them to grow and change. This book reminds us that young people do not automatically grow up to be all that God wants them to be. Uh, in fact, if you take your hands off the steering wheel of parenting, what this book tells us is that well, children will go the way of their nature. They, they will go the way of their sinful hearts. And this book tells us over and over and over again that that way ends in destruction. That's why God invented parents, right? Parents are designed to come in to take the, the steering wheel of that effort and to steer children and train them and help them in the things of the Lord. Uh, so that they don't go the way of their nature, but they actually see their need for a Savior and, and come to love Him and trust Him and, and walk in His ways. Now, I have you in Proverbs chapter 3 for this reason. Um, the, the Bible is, is a huge book. Uh, there, there are men and women that, that dedicate their whole life to the study of the book, and, and everybody agrees you would never exhaust the Bible. Uh, and, and yet, there's, there's, a, there's a simplicity to the Bible that I want you to see this morning, and that's why I want to take a few minutes uh, as I set the table for Proverbs chapter 3 here, to, to recognize that, that uh, it, it, would, it would not be oversimplifying the Bible to bring its message down to one simple question. You, you can reduce the message of the Bible down to really one question. It's the ultimate question of life. It's, I, I would argue, the theme of the whole Bible. And, um, and we see it uh, particularly demonstrated in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 today, which is where we're going. But I have you in Genesis 3 because I want to show you this. Um, here, here's the question that I think you can boil the whole message of the Bible down to. Whom will you trust? Okay? Whom will you trust? And, and, and this is, this is kind of how the Bible, um, uh, comes at it here. Okay? The, the, the Bible reduces our choices really to just two. Okay? There are really just two choices that we can, uh, pick from that question 
Whom will we trust? There are really just two choices. And, and you say, well, I, well, there's a lot of things we can, we can trust, right? I can trust my family. I can trust my talents. I can trust this person. And, and, and that's true. But I want, I want to show you how you can really reduce it down to just two. Okay? You can trust in yourself or you can trust in the Lord. And, and this is why I want to start in Genesis. Um, it, it is, it is illusion that when we are born into this life as fallen people, that we genuinely believe that there is life, there is success in trusting in ourselves. We, we come into this world um, programmed, as it were, to trust in self. And that is a result of what I'm about to show you right now. But, but I want you to remember that this is, this is where our theology should kick in. Our, our knowledge of the Bible should kick in. God did not create people to depend on self. He did not create us to be autonomous. He created us, what? To depend on Him. He created us to be dependent creatures who would rely on Him for life and breath, and everything. This is the message of Scripture. We were made to be dependent on God. Now, now the, the reason that that doesn't seem to be true is that so much of our dependence on God happens behind the scenes. It, it, it seems as if, in a thousand different ways, we really are autonomous. We, we really are independent, and we can really do actually pretty well in and of ourselves. But that's because God does not allow us to see behind the curtain, so to speak, all of the mechanics that are going on, spiritually speaking, to sustain you and to sustain me. We think, well, I'm a pretty smart guy, right? I can figure things out. I can make things. And, and God says, oh, yeah, well, where did you get that brain? Oh, yeah, right? And we could say, well, well, I have, I have success in my business. I have success in my company. And God says, well, where did you get those talents? And, and so th- there's, there's that deception that it appears in many ways that we are successful on our own and we are, uh, in a sense, autonomous and independent. And yet that is illusion that everything we have comes from God and everything that we are able to do that leads to success and leads to flourishing is only because of the good gifts of God at work in our life. Okay? Now, that was the way it was supposed to be. God created an Adam and Eve in his image and likeness to depend on him and with, with the brain, with the talents, with all the things that God gives us. But here's the thing. God made us to be consciously dependent on him as we saw last time, to acknowledge Him in all our ways, to walk with Him in dependence, and to give Him glory in all of these good gifts and things that He provides for us. And then this happened. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And He said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. There's There's a way in Hebrew you can make something exceedingly emphatic, and that's what goes on here. You shall never die would be how you would translate it. For God knows 
that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What happened there? Uh, there's there's a thousand things we can say about the significance of these verses. These are those these are those watershed verses in Scripture that explain so much of the human condition. But I just want to draw your attention to one item. What Satan introduced for the first time in humanity was this idea that people could stand in judgment of God, that they could take His word, take His ways, take His character. And instead of depending on him and submitting themselves to this wise heavenly father that they had, Satan introduced the idea that, hey, maybe you can rely on yourself to evaluate whether you think God's ways are best. And it introduced what is the, the cosmic challenge, the, the, the question of life, and that is, who are you going to listen to? Can you see how that comes right out of this text? The, 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 the question that screams off the page to those of us that are reading this is this, who's Eve going to listen to? Now, you might think that the, the, the question here, is she going to listen to Satan or is she going to listen to God? And in a sense, that's true, but notice Eve has to make a choice, doesn't she? And Satan is not so much introducing, you know, bow down and worship me, the way that he does in Matthew 4 with Jesus and the the temptation, the wilderness. Satan is doing something way more subtle. He's saying, you can make that evaluation. You can decide for yourself. You are independent and autonomous of this God, and you are competent to stand in judgment of what he's told you, to decide if it's really good for you or not. And that's the difference. That, 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 that introduces the paradigm of human existence. Whom will you trust? And you know what? We're still asking that same question today, aren't we? Thousands of years later, the question remains the same. Who will you trust? Now, we know because Eve chose wrongly that that set, that that made this paradigm uh, come to life. And what we see is, and, and uh, I'll refer you back to, uh, to Terry's messages in the early parts of Romans chapter 3, and, and we'll touch on it today, that Because uh, Adam and Eve made this decision and the fall came and sin came into the world and and our, uh, uh, spiritually speaking, we um, came into this fallen state, what that means is people in life will automatically gravitate toward a trust in self. We do not come into the we do not come into the world neutral at the fork. We come into the world on the wrong road. And that's what the gospel is about. The gospel is about saying you're on the wrong road. You were made for this road. The fact that you think you're competent over here is the great deception of sinful fallen humanity. And your only hope is a savior who will help you to see that and repent of that, and turn to him, and he will put you on this road, the road that you were designed to be on in the first place. 
That's what the Bible is about. Okay? So, whom will you trust? That, that, that's that's kind of where we're at here. Now, now, do you notice, with, with that introduction, do you notice how the Bible comes alive with that question? We saw it in Psalm 1. Blessed are the man, right, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit at the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law, what? He meditates day and night. What, what is he saying? Here's a man who is trusting in the Lord, right? What's the other choice? The wicked are not so. They're like the chaff which the wind drives away. They won't stand in the judgment or sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Why? Because they're on the wrong road. And do you see in the, in the again, the Bible is exceedingly complicated. You, you can have three PhDs and spend your whole life studying this and you will not exhaust this book because it is God's word. But there is a sense, guys, where we can reduce it down to a very simple um, a paradigm of, of, of terms of the message, and that is who you're going to trust. And, and we see that in Psalm 1. Which, which way are you going to live? Let, let me show you this just in a couple other places in Scripture as we kind of work our way back to Proverbs chapter 3. Turn in your Bible with me, if you would, please, to Jeremiah chapter 17. I've just selected a few texts from the different genres of literature. We're going to look at a, we just looked at an Old Testament narrative. We already looked at a Psalm. We're going to come back to a Proverb. Now we're going to look at one of the prophets. And I want you to see how this message who are you going to serve is the dominant message of scripture okay proverb or jeremiah chapter 3 excuse me excuse me 17 jeremiah chapter 17 now as you're turning to jeremiah what's going on in jeremiah's life and ministry you'll remember that he's ministering at a time where god's people the israelites who of all people should know this what are they doing they're over here And as a prophet, what is he doing? He's calling men and women away from this road, to repent of this road, and to turn back to the Lord in trust and in obedience. So Jeremiah is is trying to get through to these guys, and you want to talk about a a difficult ministry. Jeremiah had a 40-year ministry of being God's spokesman at a very difficult time in Israel's history. Do you know how many people heeded his message? None. Would you keep getting up in the morning and going out into the city, as Lamentation says, as people are making up songs? They're writing songs. The contemporary Christian music scene in Jeremiah's day actually had music that mocked the prophets of God. That's what Lamentations 3 says. Would you keep getting up in the morning with the word of God? You know what's funny about Jeremiah? God told Jeremiah at the beginning, go do this, but people aren't going to listen. And we can can marvel at this man's faithfulness. But I, I want you to see... What, what was really the crux of his message here in Jeremiah chapter 17? This whole chapter is about the deceitfulness of our hearts. It's about the fallenness of humanity. Listen to how he captures it here in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5. Are you there? Follow along with me, please. Thus says the Lord, cursed, well, that's a strong word, isn't it? Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. What is he saying? He's saying there is a broad road that leads to destruction and many find it. That's what he's saying. We'll see Jesus say it in those words here in a minute. 
Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind, who makes flesh his strength, and whose heart, notice this, turns away from the Lord. Do you see the two choices? Do you see the question? Whom are you going to serve? Are you going to serve yourself? Are you going to put your trust in people and in mankind? Or are you going to trust in the Lord? And again, because of our fallenness, we, we are pre-programmed as fallen human beings. We come into the world on this road trusting in self and trusting in mankind. And Jeremiah says, guys, if you do that, there is nothing but destruction in your future. That's a cursed way. Verse 6, he will be like a bush in the desert. And will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. But blessed is the man, look at the other side of the, of the paradigm here, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is in the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its root by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and, and in, and it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. Do you see the two choices? Who are you trusting in? What path are you on? Wh- whom are you relying on? And Jeremiah, seven, uh, Jeremiah 17, 9, you guys know this verse. This is what sets up this verse that we all know. The heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? What's he saying? That is the spiritual insanity that not only are we born on this road, we want to stay on this road. We're deceived. We don't, we don't recognize it. So Jeremiah says, guys, turn away, repent, turn back to the Lord. That's his message here. Uh, turn now with me to Matthew chapter 7. And Jesus had this exact same, you know, Jesus didn't show up giving a brand new message. All he did was come really putting into his own words the, the things that the whole Bible had already announced. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, as he concludes his, sum, his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. That, that should make us shudder, shouldn't it? Um, I, I had someone ask me about this verse this week, and it was like they'd never seen it before. And the guy looked at me and he said, that makes it sound like most people die in their sins and go to judgment. And that's exactly what it's teaching. There's an easy way. There's a broad way. It leads to destruction. And most people go down that road. We're, we're born on that road. We're comfortable on that road. That road is fun, at least for a little while. And, and maybe the worst part about it is the longer you're on that road, the harder it is to see that you are on the wrong road. That's the deceitfulness of our hearts and the the callousness that can happen as we continue on. Back to verse 14. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Again, there's the two choices, right? Who are you going to trust in? Um, Contextually speaking, who is the narrow gate? Well, Jesus is going to say in a different uh, part of uh, the Gospels that he is the gate. He is the door. The, the, the narrow way that leads to life is a trust in the Lord through the person and work of Jesus Christ. In fact, he concludes his sermon with this statement. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father will enter it. 
Verse 24, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. There's one way, build your house on the rock, hearing and heeding the word of God. Here's the way that most people choose. Verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them. Why? Because they're still trusting in self. They hear God's word, they say, eh, okay, and they're going to continue to trust in self. They will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and blew, slammed against the house and it fell. And great was its fall. There's two choices, guys. The the, the whole of life is about whom you are going to trust. One more and uh, we'll we'll come back to Proverbs. Let me me show you an example from the New Testament epistles, the letters. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians Chapter 5. Are you with me? You tracking with me here? Okay, is this making sense? Okay, this is the the whole message of the Bible. And and the the reason we have to do this is what Solomon is going to say to his son. You know, in a few minutes when we actually get to Proverbs chapter 3, I'm teasing you with that. What Solomon is going to say is not something radically new. It is the most important message in all of life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, I, I, I love this text for so many reasons. Um, I think I like it most of all because it, it connects the gospel specifically with what we're talking about here. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. This was a, written at a time when uh, the Apostle Paul was being afflicted. Remember, uh, 2 Corinthians is, a, is a, a letter where he's talking about persecution largely. Uh, he doesn't know how many more days he has on the earth. And um, in verse 6 of chapter 5, he's contemplating the thought of dying and going to be with the Lord. Okay? And, and he talks about, you know, when we're absent uh, from, we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord, right? Um, but he says, I'd rather uh, that we would be absent from the body and be at home with the Lord. That would be better. But verse 9, here's what he says. What's my resolve? Paul, what is your life about? Verse 9, therefore we have as our ambition, our aim, our goal, whether at home or absent, whether I live or die, he says, what's my goal? To be pleasing to him. That's his goal. Now watch how he connects this with the gospel now, okay? Verse 14. Just look down at verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. You say, the love of Christ controls us to do what? Watch where he goes with this. Having concluded this, that one died for all. That's Jesus, right? He, he provides a sacrifice for all. Therefore all died. Now he, Jesus, died for all. Why? And this is where, you know, when we ask the question, why did Jesus die on the cross? That's a great question, isn't it? That, that is the question. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Well, this, an, this verse answers that question. He died for all, here's the purpose, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died again and rose on their behalf. Do you see it? It's the message of the Bible. Whom will you trust? And Jesus died. I'm going to say this again. Jesus died to free you and free me from the bondage of life, of living for self, that leads to eternal destruction. 
And that's that word redemption. He frees us from the bonds, the, 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 the bondage of living for self in freedom, united with him now to walk in newness of life where we live trusting in him and living for his smile and his glory and his work instead of our own. That's the gospel. That, that's what, that's what Christianity is all about. Jesus coming and showing you that this is only destruction. This is what you were made for. This is why God created you. And only by trusting in Him can He free you from the, the bondage of this life to put you on the road of eternal life over here in trusting Him and walking with Him. That's the message of the Bible in a nutshell. Now, that was all introduction. Um, turn with me now to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. And as Solomon, you, you can see here a dad sitting down with his children. And again, if you're a young person here, if you're a high school student, college student, single in your 20s, you're in the right place because this book was written for you. This book was written by God through the pen of Solomon to you and to your generation. And, and as Solomon, of course, the parents are God's main instruments of work in the life of children. That's the way God designed family in, in his plan. And, and it comes down here. We, we've seen uh, the admonition here, chapter 3, Do not forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments. Don't let kindness and truth leave you. Verse 3, Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God. And of man. So with that introduction, Solomon is about to introduce to his kids what life is all about. And I hope you will see in light of the introduction that this is nothing new. This is nothing new. This is the same message that the Bible has presented from Genesis all the way, uh, eventually, to Revelation. What is it? Son, trust in the Lord with all your heart. There it is. And do not lean on your own understanding. What did he just do there? What did he do? Have you seen this before? You see it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. See, Solomon is a smart dad. He understands that these are not two hypothetical choices. His son stands at the crossroads of neutrality saying, which one am I going to pick? As a wise dad, and this is so important as parents that we remember this, grandparents, great-grandparents, people that know short people. Um, We understand and we must understand that our children don't stand here. They're here. They're already on that road. And so Solomon doesn't say, you know, in terms of hypothetical, you know, you got to choose one. He's saying, son, that's what's going on in your heart right now. You, you are tempted right now to lean on your own understanding. That's what we all struggle with. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Uh, the title of this particular message is The Heart of Training. And we're seeing the heart of training uh, played out in the paradigm of Scripture. This great question, whom will you serve? And he calls on his son here to fully trust in the Lord. And as you see from those other verses, this is not 
This is not um, unknown to the book of Proverbs. It's actually not just one of the themes of the Bible, but it's one of the themes of Proverbs. That You can just listen or you can flip to these verses with me if you want. Listen to Proverbs 16, verse 20. He who gives attention to the word will find good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Or chapter 22, verse 19. He says, incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. Apply your mind to my knowledge, for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, that you may be ready on your lips so that your trust may be in the Lord. Chapter 28, verse 25. We see it again repeated here. 28, 25 says this, an arrogant man stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. And we talked about this in my sermon a couple of weeks ago, chapter 29, verse 25. Listen to these choices. The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. We see that same, which one are you going to serve? Who are you going to live for? You see that paradigm. And so in chapter 3, verse 5, Solomon says, son, let me tell you what life is about. It's turning your heart to trust in this God who made you completely and fully. Trust in the Lord. Notice what it says there. With all of your heart. We talked last time about that little phrase, and I I, I won't go on about it again, but just to remind you, Solomon assumes, in the wisdom of the Bible, God putting this here, assumes that even amongst believers, there are areas of our heart where we're not fully trusting in him. And sanctification, growth and godliness, is a search and destroy mission for those aspects of our heart where we are not trusting in the Lord. And and you know what those are, just like I know what those are. You know those places in your mind and heart and life where you are more easily tempted to trust in other things than in the Lord? And Solomon says, no, God wants your whole heart. He wants all of it. So that's what he says there to his son. Trust in the Lord with, with all of your heart. And then what's the flip side? Do not lean on your own understanding. We, we looked at this and um, we, we read Jeremiah 17 a moment ago. Um, Jeremiah has this other wonderful little section in uh, Scripture. If you want to hold your place there, you can turn. You, you can listen just if you want to listen. That's fine too. I'm, I know I'm, I'm making you turn all over your Bible today and you might need a break. That's fine. But Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. Listen to how Jeremiah captures the same thing that Solomon is conveying here to his son about not leaning on your own understanding. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. And again, this is one of those verses that it, it just, it's a paradigm, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> it's a, it's a paradigm changing verse. It's designed to challenge your and mine conventional thinking about life. Listen to this. Chapter 9, verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Why not? Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. Verse 24, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and he knows me, says the Lord. That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness and justice and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. The the, the unspoken 
assumption of that verse is, do you know why you shouldn't boast in your wisdom or boast in your might or boast in your riches or boast in your talents or boast in your abilities or boast in your stuff or boast in your talent? Why? What did you have that you did not receive? The Bible says. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Paul told the Athenians on, on the, the hill of the philosophers, you remember that, all these, all these smart guys getting together, these, these Greek philosophers, and he says, does not your own, you know, some of your own poems teach that in him we move and live and have our existence. Even secular philosophers get it right sometimes because he gives to all life and breath and every, and every good thing. And that's what he's saying here is don't put your trust in things that you claim to be your own when they're actually gifts that God has given you. Boast in the one who gave you those gifts. Boast in the one who owns everything in life. Boast in the one who sustains you every moment, who grants you success, who allows you to develop things and enjoy things and and be successful. Boast in the one who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. Yes, ma'am. I think what stands out to me in that verse, you can't trust in a God you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. If we're not learning of him, knowing him, reading his uh, Brenda said, you know, we're not going to trust in a God that we don't know. And, and that's why, if you noticed, the admonition uh, to not not boast in the things that we have, but in him. Notice what he says. He doesn't say just the Lord who gives all those things, but he describes his character, doesn't he? You know, get to know this God and see that he is trustworthy. He is worthy of your ultimate allegiance. So very good. good. Good reminders there. Okay, back to Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. And you guys understand, everything in a teenager's life is designed to promote a trust in self. You ever thought about that? Advertising, social media, friends, sports, art. Um, selfies. selfies. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yes, I, re- I read an article. Um, it was an interesting article this week that uh, that uh, nobody likes to look at selfies except the people that take them. So anyway, so maybe that's to your point, Dan. There, but okay. Yeah, it's true. And, and again, as a parent, we've got to remember this because it's not like we say, okay, our children are not neutral; they're already on the wrong road. That's that's you know, presupposition number one. Presupposition number two is everything in this child's life is designed by the God of this world to keep him or her on that road. So as a parent, we're, we're, we're learning to see these things and not that, you know, we keep our child in isolation forever. No, no, no. There are many good gifts that, that our children can enjoy. But what we're, what we, we do as parents is we help them to see that there is a way to enjoy those things and participate in many of those things that promotes a trust in the Lord and a boasting in Him. But that's not the way most people do it. Most people do it in a way that promotes a trust in self and and an exaltation of self. So again, as parents, we have to be tuned in to how the things of this world promote the very paradigm that is the, the, the spiritual DNA of our children when they come into this world, the paradigm of self. Okay, So do not lean on your own understanding. Uh, look at the next verse. 
In all your ways, acknowledge him. We talked about this last time. I love this verse. The idea is, in everything you do, wherever you go, whatever you're involved in, bring the Lord into that situation. Consciously trust him. Consciously acknowledge him. Think about how his word should inform each one of those situations. In the motive of your heart, how can you enter that situation with a goal of pleasing him instead of self, as we saw in Second Corinthians. And I, I love um, Psalm 16, as I mentioned last time, sets it like this. I've set the Lord continually before me. And the paradigm that comes into my mind, the picture that comes into my mind is, okay, I'm going to put Jesus in front of me. But because I'm fallen and the world is wicked, Jesus is going to tend to do this. He's going to tend to slide to the peripheral of life. He's going to, Jesus is going to tend to get marginalized as we go on our way. So you have to consciously say, up, and you put him back in front of you. And you make him a part of what you're doing in your motive, in your heart, in his word, in his ways. And, 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 and guys, just expect this. I mean, you know this. You, you guys are mostly seasoned Christians here. Um, that, isn't that true? You know, j- just when you've put the Lord there and he's right, he was right there a minute ago. What's he doing over there? And you got to go get him and bring him back. I have set the Lord continually before me. I acknowledge him in all my ways. It, it, you can think of it like this. It's learning to live with a God consciousness. Does that make sense? That means you're thinking about him all the time. You're thinking about uh, the Lord. You're inviting him into your life all the time. And, and young people, that is what life is all about. Trusting the Lord and bringing him in to every aspect of your life. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And what's going to happen? Verse 6. Let's, let's catch up on the notes here. Sorry. Um, cultivate the habit of knowing God in every area of your life. Make him a part of every area. Um, I, I didn't mention Colossians 1.18. Colossians 1.18 says this. That Jesus ought to have first place in everything in your life. That's what it says. He was the firstborn of the dead. He was um, the first one to, to rise um, he's God's one and only son. Why did he have all those positions of prominence? Because God designed Jesus to have first place in every area of your life and in my life. He is to be Lord, we might say, overall. Okay? So, cultivate knowing the Lord. Just cultivate the habit of knowing the Lord. Okay? And what's gonna happen, young people? I want you, I want you to see this. This is not just, okay, I should do this because my church tells me. I should do this because it's the right thing to do. I should do this because of the Bible. You do it because what's God going to do? He will make your paths straight. This way is broad and easy, and it leads to destruction, and it is hard. Young person, the road of self seems fun, but the longer you're on it, you will realize how hard and difficult that road really is. It is a road of misery and suffering and destruction ultimately and meaninglessness. But the one who trusts in the Lord, the one who's leaning on the Lord instead of his own understanding, what does God say? He'll make your path straight. This path is narrow. 
And it's hard in the sense to get on it because it's a narrow gate. It's, you know, Christianity is pretty narrow-minded, isn't it? It's, it's pretty intolerant. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. That's pretty narrow. But you know what? That road leads to life. And God will straighten your path. And, and young person, that doesn't mean that, God, that all your problems go away. It doesn't mean you live a suffering-free life. What it means is that God will walk with you through every shadow, through every difficulty, through every hardship, in every moment of suffering. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. And you can find joy even in those dark moments of your life if he is at your right hand. Trust him. And just in case you missed it, look at verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Do you ever have to tell your children the same thing more than once? Do you, ever, do you tell them one time and they get it, or do you have to tell them multiple times? Well, what is he saying again? I've told you three times now, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, right? In all your ways acknowledge him. And by the way, do not be wise in your own eyes. That's what this road is all about. Autonomy, independence, self-wisdom. He says, don't be wise in yourself. It's one more way of saying, do not lean on your own understanding. Do not be, you know, and and that's just it. You know, young person, if I can talk to you just for a minute. You guys are all very talented people. I, I know most of you. And you have gifts and talents in sports, in, in academics, in, in, in hobbies. And it's, isn't it great that we have such gifted young people here, guys? Isn't it really amazing? And you know what the temptation is? To trust in your wisdom. And young person, I don't, God gave you those things not so that you could trust in yourself and saying, wow, look at how, how wise, look at how talented I am. God gave you those things so that you could see how kind of a God he is to you. How, how good of a father he is to give you those good gifts for success and development and, and flourishing in the world. So, so that you could use those talents to draw attention to your God and to the Savior who gave you those things and, and to use those gifts for his glory and for the love of neighbor. So don't, so don't let the fact that all of you are talented, gifted people, don't let that on this road of self turn into occasion for an exaltation of self. Because God is the one who gave you those things. Don't lean on your own wisdom. And, and you know, the, the, what's unspoken here in verse 7, we, it, it, the word is not used, but it's implied. What he's really saying is, walk in humility. Being wise in your own estimation is what? That's pride. You know what pride is? Pride is thinking that you can live independent and autonomous apart from God. That's what pride is. Thinking that you don't need him. Thinking that you can stand in judgment of him. And humility is, all humility is, guys, is another way of saying trust in the Lord in all your heart. Depend on him in all your ways. Humility is saying I need to depend on him. And I submit myself to that. I rely on him for that. So don't be wise in your own eyes. Be humble before him. Uh, crucify your pride and dependence on him. And one more way that he expresses trusting the Lord, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Now, now we might look at that and say, wait a minute. 
fear the Lord. I thought we were talking about trusting the Lord, depending on the Lord. What's this fear of the Lord? Well, here's where Solomon does something that, that is, it, it's one of those connections that the book makes that unlocks the meaning of the rest of Proverbs. And this is what he just did. He can, watch this. He connected trusting God with fearing God. And if you're following the text closely, he uses them almost synonymously. Do you see that? Do you agree with me on that? What he's saying is to fear this God is to trust him. To depend on this God is to live for his glory and for his smile. To, to live in the fear of the Lord, as the Bible would say. Now, now Solomon has already told his son what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the beginning of your spiritual life. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of what? It's the beginning of everything. And what is he saying? The beginning son, daughter of everything that matters is trusting in, submitting in, depending on, relying on this God that made you and then died for you. That's, that's where it all starts. And that's why all parent, listen, all parenting efforts should always terminate in a gospel opportunity. Shouldn't they? Because that's where it all starts. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. There's some other verses here. Uh, Psalm uh, 40 verse 3. Uh, we have a couple of minutes here. We can just, uh, you don't need to turn there again, but just listen to how the Bible connects fearing the Lord with trusting the Lord. This is not the only place. 40 verse 3 of Psalms says, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Now listen, and many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. You know it, don't you? Okay, so again, connecting those ideas. I see God, I come to reverence Him, to submit to Him, and that leads to a trust of Him, according to uh, that particular verse there. Psalm 115, verse 1, says something very, very similar. It says this, Psalm 115, 1, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but because of Your loving kindness, because of Your truth... Um, I'm sorry, that's uh, verse 11. Excuse me. It is in Psalm 115. He says, you who fear the Lord, what? Trust in the Lord. Okay, it's a progression of things. As we come to see him and fear him, God desires that we trust him. Now, back to Proverbs chapter 3. Notice this with me. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. What is, contextually speaking, what is the great evil? Now, now, Adults, be quiet for a minute. Um, young people, I want you to figure this out, okay? Contextually speaking, meaning looking at this verse and what we've just read, what is the evil, the great evil, that Solomon is warning his children to not walk in? What is it? I need someone under 25 to answer this question. What? Yourself. And the great evil is is what about yourself? I mean, it's not saying, oh, you're a terrible person, right? No, you're a wonderful person. So he's saying the great danger is doing what with yourself? Relying on it. That's it. Do you see that? Now, this is going to shock you, you young people. What does the Bible say is the great evil? It's not immorality. It's not anger. It's not theft. It's not lying. It's not any of those horrible things that you can do. Those are bad. Here is the great evil. Trusting in yourself, depending on yourself, being wise in your own eyes. Because if you do that, 
your life will be characterized by all those other things eventually. Okay? Do not trust in yourself. Avoid this great evil of relying on self. Now, if you're tracking with me, again, young person, you're not standing at the crossroads saying, should I trust God or should I trust self? You're already trusting self. And the gospel says, repent. Jesus died, why? So that we who live would no longer live for ourselves, but for him. And repentance, coming to the gospel in the person of Christ is saying, I'm going to turn away from relying on self. I'm going to turn away from viewing myself as wise and autonomous and independent. And I'm going to turn in trust and obedience and reliance on this God who made me and died for me and now calls me into a relationship with him to live for him and to walk with him. Now, if you do that, what does Solomon say will happen? These pursuits bring strength and refreshment. Look at verse 8, guys. It will, it will be. What, what, what is, what's the it? Fearing the Lord, trusting Him, relying on Him, acknowledging Him in all your ways. If you do that, that's the it. Verse 8. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. That sounds purely physiological, but it's actually being used here more metaphorically. It's saying this will bring a spiritual refreshment to your life. This is the way, you know how everybody wants to be healthy today? You know, wholeness, right? Being, being healthy. And do you want to know how to do that? You don't need a supplement. You don't need to go to this doctor or that doctor or try this. You don't need any of those things. It's right here. Is right here. How do you do it? What does it say? Trust in the Lord. Don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And you will have, according to this verse, a spiritual health and wholeness. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. All right? So what's the summary? Fully trust in the Lord. Always acknowledge the Lord in everything that you do. Grow in the fear of the Lord. And conversely, the things you want to avoid, do not lean on yourself. Do not be wise in self. Turn away from the wicked, evil way of living for self. That's, that's the Bible's message in a nutshell right there. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, I pray for our young people here that they would, they would turn away from a life of living for self and they would see the, the Savior that died for them and loves them and, and calls them to repent and trust in him, relying on him and submitting to him. And uh, Lord, for the rest of us, might, might we model this ourselves to our young people here? Might we be men and women who trust in self and who continue to, to put a reliance on, that, that we would be people that rely on the Lord, excuse me, and we would put to death living for self and seeking to please self and being wise in our own eyes. Uh, Lord, thank you that you died You sent your son to die to free us from the bondage of this broad road that leads to destruction. And thank you in your kindness uh, for providing a way to be saved and redeemed and to be put on a road that leads to life as we seek you and depend on you and live for your smile and live for your glory. Might we grow in these things today, Father. Thank you so much for the personal work of your son who makes these things possible. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.